everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Ah, uh, well, thank you. Good morning, Discovery. That, that felt more like golf claps, but I'll take it. It's early, right? Uh, I love Zach so much. I flew in yesterday, and uh, he gave me a big bear hug like Zach has probably done to so many of you. He's six, what, seven? Feels like a seven-footer, and my face was right in his sternum, and he just held me there for a good, uncomfortable 10 or 12 seconds, and I've never felt more emasculated in my life. But that's what I love about Zach. He has no inhibition. He's got a huge heart, and I am so grateful for you. I'm selfishly um, sad I don't get to be a part of Discovery on a regular basis. Um, I love your pastor. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, I came flying in, uh, dare I say it, from Texas. I almost, I was going to leave that out because I didn't want to lose anybody right away, but I want to keep it real with you today. Um, I flew in, and I want to I let you know a little bit about me. I, I brought one picture of my family. I won't bore you too much, but Here's my, uh, my wife and our four girls. Um, we actually used to live here, uh, just in the south side of Erie. My wife, Carrie, taught at uh, Prospect Ridge Academy for several years. She's had a bunch of Discovery kids back in the day. Um, she had a couple of Cuss kids, I think, at one point. Um, all of my girls uh, were at PRA for a little while, and I was part of Northern Hills Community Church just down the road off of Highway 7. Uh, always have had a great love for Discovery Church. Uh, Steve was real kind to me when I was around and got to know several people through the Young Life community that are involved here at Discovery. And when I heard Zach was prayerfully considering coming on here, um, I couldn't say enough good things about you and was really praying that it worked out. So I'm really glad, glad that happened. I really have a big love, um, not just for any one particular local expression of the church, I just, I love the church. I love the church with a capital C. I realize she's a hot mess. <laughs> uh, if Discovery's like any other church I've ever been a part of, and you just peek behind the curtain a little bit, you get to know people, you realize every church is filled with broken, messy people, right? And every church is led by broken, messy people. The church will disappoint us. The church will hurt us even at times. And yet, ultimately, she's got what we need. Uh, ultimately, she brings us to the feet of Jesus, and that's what I love about the church. I, I want to look first and foremost with you today at a passage of Scripture that if you're around the last couple of weeks, both Jen and Jacob uh, read together with Discovery, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. This is about the church with a capital C, not just Discovery. This is about the church of Jesus and why it exists. Let's dive in, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is, and let's just pause right there, this is why the church exists. This is, this is the role, this is the job of the leaders of the church. What is it? Their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's you and me, to do his work to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's what your pastor's for. That's what the elders are for. That's what the leaders of this church are for, to build us up, to build up the church, the body of Christ. 
It exists to give us who are a part of it in every little way what we need to be faithful, to, to serve the Lord. And then how long is this going to take? I always want to know whenever I've got an assignment, whenever somebody else has got an assignment that involves me, I'm like, how long is this going to take? When are we going to know that we're finished? How are church leaders going to know that they checked the box, that they got her done? It says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. So this really, really important work that the church is all about, it won't be finished until when? It won't be finished until there's so much unity in our faith. Think horizontally, especially in these times when there's so much disunity, right? When we're so polarized, not just in the culture out there, but I would say in the church as well, right? This will not be done. The church's role will not be finished until there's so much unity in our faith horizontally, and there's so much knowledge of God's Son, think vertically, so much growth in our intimate relationship with Him, so much unity, so much knowledge that what happens? That we will be mature. Mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This jumps off the page to me the more I read it. Maturity is the goal. Maturity in Jesus is the end goal. Have you ever thought about that when you think of the church? When you're looking for a new church to be a part of, when you drive into the parking lot for the 10th weekend in a row, when, when you've been going to church forever, do you, do you think of this first when you think of the church? The end goal is maturity in Jesus. It's the end goal for you, it's the end goal for me. Let's read what he says next, verse 14. Paul says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. There it is again, growing more and more, this progression toward maturity, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Man, I wish I'd have learned this a long time ago. The end goal of Christianity, dare I say it, isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free pass. No, that, that's really important. Hell, bad. Heaven, good, you know. <laughs> Life with God forever, certainly central to our faith, our understanding of what life in Christ means. But maturity in Jesus, it says here, growing more and more like Christ is the end goal for us in this life, the end goal in our relationship with him, in our experience as the church. Worth reading again, this is week three in this teaching series, worth reading again and kind of having that as our backdrop as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, which, which helps me understand, even though I don't know hardly any of you, I saw a couple old friends right before we started and I'm sure I'm going to meet a few other people at the 11 o'clock I haven't seen in years. For the most part, you don't know me. I don't know you. You're like, who is this guy with a girl's name from Texas that keeps saying y'all? Um, this is what I do know about you. We're in all different places, aren't we? We're in different places in our spiritual journeys. We're supposed to be at different levels of maturity, all of us around the room. There are supposed to be people all around us who are ahead of us, some of them. Some of them are behind us, 
in our respective spiritual journeys. There are supposed to be family members, dare I say it, that we, and you're going to think of people instantly, we have no idea why they see the world the way they do or, or the way they see the people around them or the way they understand God. There are church family members, not just biological family members, but there are church family members that we look around going, I don't, I don't see it the way they see it. I don't understand God the way they see him. And a lot of that, some of that's our own life experiences, some of that's our own personality types. Some of it is we're at different places on our respective spiritual journeys toward maturity. And I don't think we talk about this much. I love watching the last couple weeks um, on the interwebs and catching up with you guys. I, I loved how Zach started this conversation and he said, you know, the church does part of this really well. But, and I think he's right, he said, I think the church doesn't take us far enough. I think the church doesn't really help us in these latter stages that we're going to talk about of growth in Christ-likeness. But I think we do get this whole idea intuitively. Ask a seven-year-old what it's like to be 70. Part of me just wanted to do that spontaneously and just enjoy what we heard. Wouldn't that be fun? Just ask a seven-year-old what it's like to be 70. They might be right. They might be wrong. Whatever they, however they expressed it would be entertaining. But what are our expectations when we ask the seven-year-old what it's like to be 70? Or, or what would it be like for you to get upset with a 15-year-old who just got his or her permit trying to drive through the traffic of Denver? What would your expectations be? You might be, you know, clutching everything you can clutch in the car if you're there, but your expectations would be pretty low, right? They're not at the same level of your driving experience or my driving experience. Talk to your young adult friend who just decided to dive all in with Jesus. They're wide-eyed, they're excited, they're just eager to follow Jesus as best they understand what that means. Try to talk to that young adult friend about grief about disappointment? Where is God in our personal suffering? About brokenness in the church? About mystery? About unanswered questions? We're in different places. We get this, I think, intuitively, don't we? And it's not just about how old we are. I think that's our, we're, we're even going to fall into that trap a little bit because I know, I know some of the, the things we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. We tend to associate maturity with physiological growth. And yet, I am reminded that there are people a lot younger than me that are farther along than I am in this spiritual journey. Uh, I'm just going to say it publicly. Zach is, I think he's 11 years younger than me. I look up to Zach, both literally and spiritually. I really do. And I, I think that's really cool. And I've got some friends older than me that I feel like I'm mentoring in some ways on this spiritual journey. It's not just about physiological growth. We're talking about development over time of our faith, of what we believe, of our understanding of God and the world around us. And I got to tell you, this teaching series that um, y'all are, are working through um, here at Discovery, it's all about this, this invitation to, to grow, to, to come, this, this beckoning further up, further uh, in, to better understand if I'm here looking where I've been and to, to understand that better, but also to look expectantly 
to where God still wants to take me. I, I'm fascinated by these kinds of, of conversations, and I'm 53 now, if you're wondering. Uh, I don't love everything about getting older. I don't love the aches and pains. I don't love that um, I can't read without my glasses. I don't love that I'm getting slower and softer. But I will tell you what I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying looking back with some clarity, more than I've ever had, as to how God has brought me along, how he's grown me up, how he's beckoned me further up and further in. And it makes me that much more excited. I know he's not done with me yet. I know he's not done with me yet. If I've got another 15 years, if I've got another 35 years, I know he's not done with me. This is week three of this teaching series, and if you missed the first two weeks, um, I strongly encourage you to go back and check them out. Hopefully today will, sp will spark your interest. Week one was a fantastic introduction to this whole concept of the stages of faith development. And then week two, last week, uh, is where we really started to dive in with, with one of the stages. Before we go any further up and further in together today, I want to remind every one of us of the three goals that are part of this ongoing conversation. Um, first goal is to clarify where we are on our own faith journeys. So hopefully as you uh, wade through these teachings and as you even talk about them with each other, you're just going to have a, a more and more clear understanding of where you are. And that, I think clarity about self is really important. And then the second goal is to understand why Christ followers at different stages might seem different from each other. You want to be more unified? You want this church community to be that much richer, that much more fun, that much more beautiful, and, and look more and more like Jesus? I think this is central to it, to better understand where we are and where our friends are and our family members are. And then finally, the third goal, to better love people at various stages right where they are, walking with them as they mature. How do we love each other better? How do we serve each other better? I think that third goal speaks to this. In this series, we're looking at what some really smart people came up with as they have studied stages of faith development. And uh, I'm somewhat familiar with this book, and I enjoyed catching up this week on it. This particular book called The Critical Journey uh, it was written by a counselor named Janet Hagberg and a pastor and theologian named Robert Gulick. Uh, they write about a life of faith. Uh, they describe a journey uh, in six potential stages that, that begins with this excitement of first encountering God, a God that's greater than we ever imagined, a, 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 a God that invites us to something we, we never realized we could, we could be a part of. And it goes all the way in this journey up until their final stage, which is looking like Jesus, be becoming a saint, if you will, maturity in Christ-likeness. Really quickly, I want to pull up a chart that Jen and Jacob both showed us uh, each of the last couple weeks that shows us how we really are all over the map on this. Check out this bar chart. My wife's a high school math teacher. She would love this chart. Notice how at an early age, uh, these first two columns... 0 to 6, and then 7 to 12. All of us at those ages are in those first couple of stages, symbolized by, by the red and the, the, the pink or lighter red. There aren't any five-year-olds that look just like Jesus, right? We get that. We get that. We don't have the expectation that they would be. But then this is where it gets really interesting to me. Then in our adolescence, this third column, 
we see how some folks start to move into stage three and even into stage four. Skip ahead all the way over to where I find myself at 53. It's the next to last column. And there are actually people my age anywhere from stage two all the way through stage five. All those different colors represented. I'm absolutely fascinated how we are all over the place, all over the place. Okay, some, some more quick review before we get to looking at stage three today. Hagberg and Gulick call the first stage the recognition of God. I thought Jen did a really good job of helping us understand. This is when each of us first stumbles into something incredible, that God is real, that God is good, that it, it's a very exciting time of discovery. It's humbling. It, it helps us feel small in a good way. Uh, it's overwhelming. And this stage sees us becoming more hopeful about the future, uh, more trusting uh, about what's going to happen. Fairness is really important in stage one. Things are pretty much black and white. Good is good. Bad is bad. In fact, we have this, this expectation in stage one uh, where good behavior is going to be rewarded with good, where bad behavior is going to be re rewarded with bad. And then this desire to learn and to grow, it just naturally leads us into stage two that Jacob talked about last week, the life of discipleship. Moving into stage two is usually tied to choosing to, to follow a significant leader uh, for us as Christians like Jesus, to dive into a particular belief system. Um, Jacob did a really good job last week of talking even what we experience in church of life-on-life of -life learning, what we in the Christian church call life-on-life -life discipleship. It becomes more and more important, finding our tribe or, or maybe finding the cause that we want to be a part of. And our faith becomes increasingly uh, personal and important. If, if stage one is a very humbling experience in a beautiful way, stage two is a very grounding experience. And then this week, we're going to talk today about stage three, what Hagberg and Gulick call the productive life, which frankly is where a lot of us in the room probably are. So hopefully, hopefully we really... Uh, can relate to some of the things we're going to talk about. In this stage, we start to realize that we can be useful for God. We start to, to realize we have a part to play in other people's journeys. It's not just that initial discovery that's really about just me and him. It, it's not just broadening our, our, what we see to, oh, it's about tribe, it's about community, it's about a, a movement, a cause. It actually becomes more and more about other people and how we have a role to play. Stage three is where we find ways to serve. In church life, we're signing up for anything. We're signing up for everything. How can I help? How can I be a part of this? How can I bless some other people with what God's already blessed me? But let's see if any of you can relate to this, and this is where you get to be honest with yourselves. This stage can also lead to feeling burned out, it can lead to feeling unappreciated. Sometimes people in stage three can, can become really discouraged as, as others maybe haven't changed in the ways they expected them to as they were served. Or maybe they haven't changed at the pace that they were expected to change. This disappointment that many folks experience in stage three can lead to a crash. Crash bad, right? 
well, yeah, for a lot of us, a crash is a bad thing. But what I'm learning about from Hagberg and Gulick and even from Fowler's uh, writings on the stages of development is that if we work through that crash, then this discouragement, this disillusionment, it can actually lead to stage four, which I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We're going to talk about that more next week. Uh, spoiler alert, next week is where it gets really, really interesting, in my opinion. I actually wish that Zach had asked me to teach next week, but he didn't. He asked me to teach today. Uh, but it's, it's going to get even more fascinating. It's going to get more interesting to, to so many of you. Let's just not go there yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my, my, uh, my self-discipline and hold back. Let's talk more about stage three, which frankly is where a whole lot of us, like I said, are anyway. Look at that chart again with me. You see the light green on the chart. That's stage three. It starts as early as our early teens. So for you teenagers in the room, it starts somewhere in those teenage years for a lot of us. And for some of us, it carries well in throughout our adulthood. It's not just something we necessarily, by default, move into the next stage in our 20s or 30s or 70s. It's, it's not necessarily that way. If stages one and two are very concrete, very black and white in nature, I would argue stage three is where it starts to get, I'll use the word fun. In stage three, our faith starts to become bigger. It starts to be about other people and not just ourselves. This is one reason I've always loved working with teenagers, because I've just got to be in the room so many times when that, that, uh, that, that leap forward, uh, I get to watch it happen, to, to recognize, oh, it's, it's bigger than just me. What was once all about me, 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 like a little child, which is normal, right? Ever so slowly, it becomes bigger than just me. All of us in our teenage years at some point begin to ask the questions like, where do I belong? Um, what is my purpose in this life? And stage three is an incredibly rewarding experience because it's all about finding the answers to those questions. One of my favorite examples in the Bible of someone moving from stage two to stage three, and even well into stage four, you could argue, um, is Simon Peter. And I trust, I trust that if you've been going to church for a while, if you've read the scriptures at all, you're, you're familiar with Simon Peter. He's my favorite person in the whole Bible that's not named Jesus. Uh, when Simon first met Jesus, that was his, his name initially, Simon, he was arguably an older teenage boy. Scholars disagree um, on exactly what his age was, but uh, a teenage boy, and life was very simple for Simon Peter. He would wake up early, he would go fishing, he would clean his nets, and then he'd go home. And then the next day, wash, rinse, repeat. He would wake up early, he would go fishing, he would clean his nets, and then he would go home. Life was simple. Let's pick it up in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. Jesus is gaining in popularity. There's a big crowd. And Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. And when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now Simon knew who he was, uh, 
didn't know him very well, called him master, out of respect, master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now, we don't have tone. We don't have facial expression. I just picture a teenager. I have, I have three at home right now. And I, have, I, I just picture the sass. I picture the eye roll. I picture the whatever, you know? Oh, well, okay. We didn't catch anything. But if you say so, we'll do it. I, I can't tell you that's what happened. That's what I'm picturing in my mind. So they do this. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. Don't miss this. They caught so much fish, they shouted for help. I've never fished like that, that I needed help. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. This is not sarcasm. This is not teenage snark. This is wide-eyed discovery of the power of God. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also teenage boys, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Man, if this story doesn't blow you away, you've been to church too long. This is crazy. This is a life-changing moment for this teenage young man named Simon and his friends. I think we see Peter here moving into stage two in some ways of his faith journey this wide-eyed discovery of the reality of God. He's a Jew. He's been to the synagogue. He knows a lot of the scripture in his head. He knows the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament stories. He could recite things like my my kids could growing up going to church. It just became real. He just got invited in a very visceral way, further up and further in. Let's look at more evidence of Simon Peter growing and maturing. Just four chapters later, same gospel, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. More crowds around Jesus. He had to get away. It says only his disciples were with him, his small band of of brothers. And he asked them, hey, who do people say that I am? What are the crowds saying about me? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, this famous crazy man that's talking about God. Some say Elijah, the legendary hero from centuries before, somehow come back. Others say you're one of the other ancient prophets prophets who's risen from the dead. And then he asked them, okay, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And who steps up? Who's growing? Who's maturing? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. You are the, the Messiah is the Hebrew word, uh, the Christ, that's the Greek word that means, they both mean the anointed one. You are the chosen one. You're the one we've been waiting for. Peter's certainty, his strong faith in Jesus is evident here. He's grounded in his life with Christ. Now, you may know Peter's story. You know that, you may know that that certainty, that groundedness, kind of is shaken later. Uh, 
Later when Jesus was arrested and he was taken away by soldiers, which, which led to the crucifixion, what did Peter famously do? This grounded, rock solid, I know who you are guy. What, what do we know that happened to Peter? He turned his back on Jesus. He denied ever knowing who he was to the people asking him. It's a reminder to me, it's, it's both humbling, but it's also reassuring. Even in our maturity process, we can have setbacks, right? Even in our desire to be faithful followers of Jesus, we can, we can stumble, we can fall, we can fail. Peter did. We can encounter crises of faith. And yet, for this morning's purposes, I want to skip ahead and I want to catch a glimpse together of just how far Peter came, how God continued to work in Peter's life. These, these stages of faith development come to life for us in Peter, giving him a greater purpose and calling. Just a few weeks after Peter's failure, after his denial of Jesus and then Jesus' death and resurrection, just a few weeks after that, we get a glimpse of Peter squarely stepping into stage three. Let me set the stage. There's this huge crowd. Uh, all the, all, the, the Bible tells us that all of the followers of Jesus, however many there were, some scholars say it was in the, 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 the high 10s, 70, 80. Some people say it was 120. But they're all in one place. They're all gathered together. They're praying. They're celebrating that Jesus is alive again. And it says suddenly there's this huge, loud, storm-like noise. And it's, it's both troubling. It's, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. So much so that all these other non-Christians, all these devout Jews from every direction are coming to this place. What is going on? And I'm just going to skip right into the middle of this scene, but look who steps up and leads. Don't miss this. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It says, then Peter stepped forward. Remember that teenage boy? <laughs> okay, I guess, we'll, I guess we'll throw our nets out. Whatever. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. And Peter gave the sermon of his life. Look how far he had come. That teenage wide-eyed fisherman went from discovery of Jesus, overwhelmed by who he was, his power, his kindness, he spent time with him, he grew, and he grew, and he was matured, and he was matured to this point, not of perfection, but of great maturity in Christ. It, it's, it's beautiful for me to watch how God continued to work in the life of Peter. Now, we don't have time, I trust none of us have time, for a full Peter sermon in the middle of Lauren's sermon, so we're not going to do that, okay? We're going to skip to the end of Peter's sermon. Verse 37, we skipped a bunch of verses. When he was done, this is what it says. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they, this crowd, said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They're so blown away. What do we do now? And Peter replied, each of you must repent. That's, that's pull a 180. You're facing this direction. Turn back this direction. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Church blew up. This is the beginnings of the church that I love. 
Stage three, the productive life. Now, that does not necessarily mean that we're going to end up preaching to large crowds. <laughs> in case you're wondering, oh my goodness, I don't know if I want to be in stage three. <laughs> no, that's not what it means at all. Stage three, more broadly, it's, it's best described as a doing stage. See if you can relate to this wherever you are in your spiritual journey. It's a doing stage. It's a very active stage where we're consciously engaged in working for God. Maybe uh, we become aware of our unique giftedness. If you've taken a spiritual gifts inventory or, or, or even tried different things as a part of the local church to see, God, what am I good at? What did, what did you create me to be able to do? You want to you be active. You want to engage. We want to put those gifts to use in our community of faith. We want to make a difference in the world. We want to take who we are and what we have to offer and we want to make a difference. Often we take on specific leadership roles or responsibilities in stage three. And there's this sense of productivity. There's this sense of fruitfulness that comes with it. A feeling of having reached a goal or two. That's part of this stage three experience. So if this is stage three, just be reflective here for a moment on a Sunday morning. Hopefully you're awake by now. How many of you would, would recognize, I, th I think that's where I am. Or, or I think that's where I've been for a while. Or I think I'm, maybe some of you are like, I think I'm stepping into that stage now in my, my faith journey, my spiritual development. Now, just a tease, looking ahead today, what does moving forward into stage four and maybe even into stage five look like? I just want to tease you for a moment. I think these are the things that, that kind of move us forward. What happens when an authority figure in our faith journey fails? What happens when a pastor that you look up to uh, falls morally? What does that do to your faith? Or uh, a community rejects you? Or, or just disappoints you? What does that do to your faith? What happens when we begin to experience life with groups of people who are just different than us, who see the world differently than we do? For some of us, it's just going off to college and hearing that professor say some things we've never heard that we're not even sure are true, or being around some other people that are from different parts of the country, or moving into, for some of us, even well into our adult years, moving into a community with a different culture, different part of the world, different part of our country, whatever that is. What happens when we experience great loss? When we lose someone we love? What does that do to our faith? What does that do to this process that we're experiencing of, of transforming into the likeness of Jesus? When we experience personal suffering, when our prayers turn a lot into, God, why, why did you let this happen? God, where are you? I, you probably can tell. I, I want to go there already. But that's, that's partly what pulls us into, a lot of us, into stage four and even more into stage five. Next week, this is where we're going to go together in the series. I hope that interests some of you um, that feel like you're already there or that are wondering, what, what, how do we navigate that in this Christ adventure? Just a tease for now. To finish our teaching time together here today, I want to I firmly land the plane uh, with a couple of questions, and then we'll be done. Done with the teaching time. We're going to worship some more, of course. We've discussed the first three stages of faith development. We've teased a little bit looking into stages four and five. 
wherever we find ourselves, wherever you find yourself, wherever I find myself, on this continuum of spiritual growth. Here's the question. What do we do with people behind us in the journey of faith development? This is really important that we ask this question as church members, as, as church family. What, what do we do with people behind us in the journey of faith development? I want to remind you, what did Paul say? We read these words in Ephesians 4 today, that, that he wants to, to bring us to full unity in our faith. He, he wants to bring us together. So how do we do that with people that are in a different stage behind us? Jesus said, this is how the world is going to know that these are my people. These are my peeps. This is my church. This is how they're going to know the way we love each other. So what do we do with people behind us in the journey of faith development? The answer is we are to be patient and full of grace. I believe this wholeheartedly. We're to be patient with people behind us because God's not done with them yet. Wherever they are, uh, I think about when any one of my daughters was four and they just kept asking questions all day long. Did you know the average four-year-old asked 2,000 questions a day? Some of, some of you parents are like, yes, I do. Help me. Guess what? That's okay. We expect it, right? Most of the time, we just... That's exactly how a four-year-old is supposed to act. How are we with people that are behind us in our spiritual development, that are behind us in the journey? We are to be patient with them because we used to be there. And we are to be full of grace, full of grace because we understand how gracious God has been with us. Oh, my goodness. God was so patient and grace-filled with me, and he's brought me along. We are to be patient and full of grace with them. Just as important a question, last question today, what do we do with ourselves? <laughs> what do we do when we look internally? I don't know about you, but I am really hard on myself at times. I can, I can, be, I can be my own worst enemy. I, I'm so still, at 53, I'm so frustrated that I continue to struggle with some of the same things I've struggled with, what it seems like for years. I, I see ahead, I, I see where I, I wanna be, I see who I want to become. I want to become a better dad. Oh my goodness. I want to become a better husband. I want to become a better friend. Um, I want to become a better testimony to the greatness of God, to the beauty of Jesus. I want, I want. And so what do I do with myself? What do we do with ourselves? I think the answer is very similar. We are to be expectant and full of grace. We are to be, do you expect to grow up? Do you expect to change? When I hear my brothers, usually it's men. When I hear my brothers in Christ go, well, that's just how I am. Or I hear somebody go, well, that's just how he is. I'm like, no, that's not biblical. Because <laughs> God beckons us further up and further in. He, he wants us to mature. So we're, we're to be expectant, but also full of grace, full of grace with ourselves. Uh, God loves us just like we are maybe way over here on, the, on this development, but he loves us just like we are. God is in the transforming business. He makes all things new. We know that's what he's all about. He takes the old life, he replaces it with this new life that's increasingly Christ-like. He, he lists out, I'm so grateful for Paul, he lists out exactly what our life is supposed to look more and more like, full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
It's going to come up more and more in us and come out, and God is not done with you, and he's not done with me. We're to be expectant and full of grace. Let's pray together. God, I'm so, uh, I'm just so encouraged as I've even prepared for today uh, in Zach's absence. I have really enjoyed looking back at who I used to be apart from you, who I used to be uh, earlier in my faith journey. And I am so thankful for your patience with me. And Lord, I know I, I get so hard on myself, and yet I... I know it's because I'm looking in the mirror every single day. And yet when I stop and, and, and step back and look at many, many years, the change is so much more evident to me. And I'm grateful, Father. Father, I pray over discovery. I pray over every person who is here this morning, who's watching online, who, who watches it later, who soaks up these, these few weeks of this conversation. And I, I pray against pride. I pray against the ways that we can take even some truth like this um, right out of the Bible that you are beckoning us further up and further in and we can become Pharisee-like. I pray against that. I pray against our own ego that would judge each other, that would treat each other poorly, and I pray for nothing else but grace and expectancy and hope and just better understanding. Father, would you bless us? And would you continue to grow us up? We pray this, hopefully, in Jesus' name. Amen.